Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 13 with Joseph Bienvenu and Joseph Makos. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. So today we're going to talk about composers who've written pieces based on poetry. And we have again with us Jeff Pagano, our resident music expert here. Um, we're going to talk about some music. How are you doing tonight, Jeff? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. Ready to talk about some composers? Always. Always ready. So we're going to start with uh, Winter Rice, Winter Journey by Franz Schubert. So you want to tell us a little bit about that piece? Yeah, the, it's it's for uh, piano and just one solo vocalist, which I believe he originally wrote it for baritone voice. I, I don't know. I, I believe so. There's many different versions of it, but it's, it's really beautiful. I believe he wrote the first 12 and then... He went on to work on a bunch of other things and then wrote the other 12, which there's 24 in all, which I really like. It's really, really, really depressing <laughs> and and melancholy, but not like in a way, it, it's like, not in a way that's like simple. It's like in a complex way and it's, and it's in a defeative way. They get better as they go on. The last one is my favorite out of all of them. And it's like almost just three or four notes played in the piano continuously. It's very simple. And then the vocal part is very simple and he is like kind of repeating phrases and it's just so moving. Well, the melody's repeating, but he's doing the poem, which is, I believe about a so, yeah, hardy so gurdy man. Yeah, yeah. Now, that end part, there is yeah, a hardy yeah, gurdy man, yeah, right? Yeah, that um, in the dogs. Because I but, think, from what I read, he was trying to kind of evoke the plot of this, this oh, poem yeah, as he was course. going through. Well, which I yeah. guess is the idea of all of these when you're, when, you're, when you're writing a piece like this. So the poem that, the poems that this is based on, or I guess it's a multi-part single, single poem, really, is by Wilhelm Mueller who was a German Romantic poet. Not a poet that I think uh, we hear much about these days. Uh, he was pretty popular, and apparently a lot of his, a lot of his uh, poems were adapted to political and popular songs, but I think this is one of the, one of the few ones that was, was tackled with this sort of music here. But the idea of this poem, Win- Winter Rice, the plot here is the main character is this young man who arrives in this town in the spring and he meets a family and becomes friendly with them and they invite him to to stay and live with them and he falls in love with the daughter of this family who he thinks loves him until she rejects him to marry a wealthy suitor and then in the middle of a winter night he writes a note to his beloved and leaves his adopted home and he goes on this torturous journey through the snow hounded by the memories of his past happiness living with this family and there's this uh, this raven that travels along with him the whole way, and he thinks it's some sort of omen. And he eventually gets to another town, and that's the part where you were talking about, where he 
sees this hurdy-gurdy man who kind of lives on the edge of the town and the town people don't listen to him play anymore. Uh, and he's just chased around by these this kind of pack of dogs that's at the edge of the town. Yeah, with bleeding feet. <laughs> and I mean, that's in the the translation. Because I actually read the translation to English, but which it could be horrible. Yeah, I have a little bit of it here. I, I thought maybe something with the journey might be good. This is like the part eight of it. The eighth um, piece? The eighth part. Looking back is the translation. And this is him like talking while he's traveling, I think. It feels like I'm walking on fire, though underfoot is ice and snow. I've hardly time to draw breath. So keen am I to leave that town. Every stone has made me stumble in my haste to get away. From every roof I've passed, crows have showered me with snow. How different when I arrived. How well you greeted me then. You shining happy streets where the lark and nightingale sing. A linden tree whispered in the breeze, the murmur of the sparkling stream. Then the spell cast upon my heart from a beautiful maiden's eyes. Now when I think of that day, I'm tempted to turn and look back to retrace my weary way to stand before my loved one's house. The poem to me is very melodramatic, but... Yeah, see, I don't... I, it's in German, I don't know it. I just... I'm just really into the music. Yeah, and in the And the sentiment behind it. And I think Schubert was... died really young, and he was young when he was writing it. I mean, so you... that is the way you think as a 20-year-old... like, in your 20s. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're melodramatic and... Which no. makes sense, yeah. and and I mean, I, I I don't know. I can musically, it really works, and I don't know the lyrics, so some of <laughs> so them it I helps, do. So you yeah, don't have, yeah, you don't and necessarily so, have to listen to what it's saying exactly. Yeah, and you make up your own meaning, but some of them I do know some of the words, or like I've seen the translations into English, which are probably awful, but they don't really I. You know, like it doesn't take away from it to me. It's it's pretty captivating because you don't like music. You think maybe it's not good as a poem, but musically, there's this all these other things going no, on that I can think you really can take something that's not necessarily a good poem, and by adding the music there, it can make it. Oh, it can uplift else. you, yeah. and yeah. it could, and it's it's like how music, what music does to film or. Music does to like, so it's multi layered, which kind of you feel all these other things and then it changes it because the actual music is some of it is a little bit like more on more confusing because it's it almost seems happy, but it's like blissfully happy, like where he's looking back. And then when it's sad, it's none of it's melodramatic. None of it's dramatic at all. It's it's defeated. It's like completely yeah. just, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I, and I feel like a lot of, uh, you know, opera singers, like usually when you see the, the people <laughs> that sing it really well uh. are like either older or they have like some disability or like, something's like physical deformity <laughs> i'm i'm telling you like the ones yeah. that are like the great masters of singing yeah. this music and they really understand the character behind it are like are they look pale and kind of defeated and depressed and 
I mean, maybe that's just like what I, you know, like I'm pushing in my own view of it, but it's, it's, you know, and a lot of them are older and, uh, cause typically Schubert is the, the master of writing songs. He's the master of it. Typically, if you see people singing Schubert song, they're not going to sing this stuff. They're not yeah. going to do it. Yeah. It's like the tortured souls are diving into this, you know. So do you, does does this is that just because of the content, or is there something musically about this that kind of separates it from other of Schubert's work? I don't know. I I I never. I immediately. I I love Schubert a lot, but I immediately got this stuff. And I think a lot of his other stuff, even though we're in a time where people don't even really care about classical music or whatever, they still love like Ave Maria, for instance. Yeah. And um, it's just, which I think that's a beautiful piece. But the other stuff is like more just accessible and more on the pop side of classical music. And it's really, it's not, it's not like this earth shattering you know like what is going on like yeah. what, what what you know it's like you can tell you know this is what the emotion is in it and this it's kind of hard to tell but there is like a defeated thing and like looking back which i just like love yeah. does it feel is it yeah. resigned to that defeat is that the feeling or is it more yeah it's 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 like the this in music is abstract so I don't know what he was thinking, but I know he was, um, when he wrote the first 12, he, I don't know if he knew that he was dying, but when he was writing the last ones, he knew Mm -hmm. he died very young from, uh, I believe it was syphilis from sleeping with prostitutes or God knows what, uh, I don't know what he's doing some weird stuff. Probably it's the same stuff that's in like Kurt Cobain's. You know, in utero or something. Yeah, that yeah, feeling yeah. is there. I don't know why we romanticize it, or I do, or just culture in general. Well, but maybe it's not. I mean, yeah, I think there is a romanticizing of that that happens, but but also I think that's kind of a universal. Yeah, because we right? all know yeah. we're gonna die, and it's comforting when people like express in a way that isn't. I guess it's it's like. Not in a dramatic way, but more in a way of like, ah, oh, just like wanting to breathe and like wanting the weight off their chest. You know, it it sounds yeah. like that. It slowly sounds like that. Like where it's just like, mm-hmm. I, I wish I could. I'm not even gonna oh. attempt to sing it, so, but I well, do know it. It's in my. It's yeah. in my heart. Like if well, I we think of that feeling for all of these, we're gonna put some links in the show notes. So. Yeah. definitely go listen to, to these pieces especially the ones that sound interesting to you afterwards but we yeah. will have links to all of those there so you can you can find them easily um but maybe we should move on to our next piece which if we're going to go chronologically we're going to jump ahead to 1874 with Sansan's Dance Macabre yeah great piece really I I mean, this is like the Halloween piece. This is the oh, piece that, yeah. that everyone thinks that it, probably everyone's heard it, even if they don't know that they have. You've heard it. 
and it's like in all the cartoons with the skeletons dancing and stuff. Well, there you go. There's that's the story <laughs> right there. Right? Yeah, I know, but it, it's just that 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 beginning with the that wicked violin just doing that, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it goes into it and it's it's fairly it's fairly easy to grasp, but I do like it. I do like. I wouldn't just like listen to it. It's overplayed. So this so. is another. This is another. Which a lot of these are since they're based on phones. This is another another piece with vocals and it's voice and piano on this one. Is that? Yeah, but they they the better one I think is just the one that's orchestrated. Oh, actually, I have it written here. Originally, it was for voice and piano, and then he yeah. later he Orchestra. later got rid of the vocals and replaced that with violin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And it's it's. Uh, it's much better with, as an instrumental. And you kind of alluded to this with the cartoon, but this is based on this kind of... I mean, it's based on a specific poem by Henri Cazali, but it's this kind of legend that I think it was kind of a common legend of this idea of on Halloween night, death Do you like this appears. poem? Not particularly. What? We're starting off with some rough poems. It's not. It, I like it better than the last one, I guess, but it's still not a good poem yet. But the story, the idea behind the poem that this is based on, which is kind of that kind of legend, Halloween. Like, on Halloween at midnight, death appears. All the dead people's skeletons get up out of the grave and dance while he plays the fiddle. Until oh, the that's awesome! The that's awesome. You yeah. don't like that. I like the story better than I like the poem. I can read you okay, a little bit. Re- of this read poem. the poem. Read the whole thing. Okay. And I don't know, I don't even have written who translated this one, unfortunately. But this was a French poem, originally. Zig, 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 death in cadence, striking a tomb with his heel. Death at midnight plays a dance tune. Zig, zig, zag on his violin. The winter wind blows and the night is dark. Moans are heard in the linden trees. White skeletons pass through the gloom, running and leaping in their shrouds. Zig, 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 each one is frisking. You can hear the cracking of the bones of the dancers. A lustful couple sits on the moss so as to taste long-lost delights. Zig, 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 death continues the unending scraping on his instrument. A veil has fallen. The dancer is naked. Her partner grasps her amorously. The lady, it said, is a marchioness or baroness, and her green gallant a poor cartwright. Horror! Look how she gives herself to him, like the rustic was a baron. Zig, 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 what a saraband. They all hold hands and dance in circles. Zig, zig, zag, you can see in the crowd the king dancing among the peasants. But hist, all of a sudden they leave the dance. They push forward, they fly, the cock has crowed. Oh, what a beautiful night for the poor world. Long live death and equality. <laughs> yeah, it's not very good. It's pretty uh, no, no, no. It's, <laughs> I think also, and it's got quite a moralistic bent in there about you know, oh look there, and I didn't like back the... with their lovers again. And, <laughs> and I don't like the zig 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 either. I yeah. I don't like when things. Do and look, that. both of these for some reason they're obsessed with linden trees. That's interesting. <laughs> I think that the actually <laughs> the other poem is better. Yeah, I guess. And you it's don't think so? It's an interesting topic, I guess. I don't know. They're both terrible. <laughs> no, I don't think they're... I don't, you, you can't. You can't. I mean, the subject matter is good. I, I don't know. I like the last... The lyrics. At least the lyrics for the last one. The last... 
It, so. uh, you might be right. It's maybe a little better. It is kind of... With the dog it's kind and of the, bizarre for this one. And him getting the hurdy-gurdy man to play him a song well, on his like bloody part, feet. Actually, if you read it, it's not... You're imagining it much better than it is in the poem. There's not much detail at all. It's very, like... It's super... That's a great imagery. I think the problem with both of these poems is... But subject matter is much better than the actual poems. You could imagine yeah. someone doing a good job writing about both of these <laughs> topics, but neither of them really did is part of the problem. Yeah. Here. Um, that's a famous piece. I think it's important we mention it. Oh, yeah, it's it's very famous. Uh, I think now we're going to move on to the one that is maybe one of your favorites musically and also has a better poem, a good oh, poem associated with it. That. So we're going to jump ahead a little bit in time and then go backwards. So we're going to... 1894 here. That's when it was premiered. It it took him a long time to write this. This is like groundbreaking, you know. This is where... So basically we're in a time when Wagner has kind of stretched tonality as far as it could go. Basically, composers are stuck at like a new direction to go because well not all of them i mean you could get more late romantic music it still had some ways to go i guess and it so it took him a long time to make a new direction and and this is one of the pieces that was like the new way which they call impressionism which he hated that that (laughs) that title of impressionism but because uh, it was actually an insult as because uh, impressionism meant for music when critics would say it musically it it meant that it had no form or like no direction. Yeah, so what I had read was that a lot of people who didn't like it said that it was formless. Do you think that it was just the structure was too complex for them to understand what was going oh, on. Oh, I think definitely. And no one had ever heard anything like it at the time. And it's a masterpiece. There's all these just washed out sounds. And it it's the one of the first times that like music... There's other... I guess there was things that kind of alluded to it, but it's where things were really washed out and it's all like melodically pleasing, but it's, there's also weird dissonance in there. Is it just like, there's so many parallel harmonies or so many parallel things. Yeah. You have so many parallel things and, and the things that are dissonant are so light in it that it's just like adds color, which it does the opposite effect. And the things that are, you know, over top are, very, very, very beautiful the whole time. There, mm. you know, it's like this beautiful floating, and uh, mainly, you know, with the flute and the woodwinds, and then there's these luscious like harp things. That, but the strings and all these other motions of some of the other instruments are doing these for the time strange chords. So this is like not tonal. It's it's more. Like a modal. It's it's tonal, but he's using all twelve notes mm-hmm. at the same time, but it's still tonal. So, but he's using every single note that you can play on the ins- in the Western instruments, and he's kind of I think, which he died young too, but 
where his later work was going, he would have like broke the pattern because he was really into oriental music, mm-hmm. uh, microtones and things like that. I think he was yeah. he was trying. I think it's like steps of him trying to find it, and he did this a lot in his music where you could tell that that's where he was trying to go. It's just like these instruments, the piano, you can't get in microtones, but how could you still like allude to it? You make all the tones sustained together, you know, and things like that, which on his last works too, you could hear it more. He, he did like more smaller things and it's a completely different style and it's just knockout gorgeous music. It's dissonant. There's dissonance in it, but it's not like what you think of dissonance. It's not not unpleasing to the ear. Yeah, so I, I have a quote from Leonard Bernstein here where he says, uh, he says about Prelude of the Afternoon of the Fawn that the, the tone scale is atonal and that it's the first organized atonal material ever to appear in musical history. And because of its atonal nature, the new scale suddenly produces the most ambiguous sounds ever heard in music. Oh, yeah. I definitely agree. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think that... I agree in a way of, like, sound, but I think that most of atonal music was very much more based off of Baroque music. Deep-rooted in that, you know, like Mozart and and then going back to Bach and and whatever, like going back uh, that system with tone rolls. But I think that definitely it is it's the first piece that's that's kind of like making those same kind of sounds, except you think it's just getting there a different way. It's getting there a different way that it's more based off of uh, gamelan music and. And yeah, Indian well, classical music and, and Asian, like, just Asian music all around, like how they use microtones. Debussy, like he said, if you want to learn how to write music, go look at the sunrise, you know, or things like that. He was obsessed with nature and and natural things. So, yeah, maybe that's a, a good place talking about nature to get back to the poem that this piece is based on, which is Mallarmé's prelude of the afternoon of the fawn the basically the plot of this poem it's it's about a fawn or a satyr and he is he kind of wakes up from this dream uh and he tells us about these different nymphs that he's pursued and it does use like a lot of natural imagery a lot of things about fruits and plants and 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 the countryside to kind of talk about talk about these pursuits and and it's and it's very sexual yeah, let's read just like maybe the beginning to kind of give you how the how the poem is set up, uh, and this is from uh, this excellent kind of kind of newish translation by the Scottish poet and translator Peter Manson. The afternoon of a fawn, eclogue, the fawn. These nymphs, I want to have them perpetuated, so bright their light carnal tint that it floats in the air, drowsy with tufted sleep. Did I love a dream? My doubt, a massive old night, ends in many a subtle breath, which by remaining the real woods proves, alas, that alone I offered myself the ideal error of roses as a triumph. Let us reflect, or if the women you glow stand for a desire of your fabling senses, fawn the illusion escapes from the cold blue eyes like a spring in tears. 
of the one more chaste. The other is all size. Do you say by contrast, like the breeze of the hot day in your fleece? That's a beautiful poem. That's super beautiful. And you can kind of see in that part, it goes back and forth like between the fawn talking to us, to uh, the audience directly, and then going to like these sort of remembrances or dreams. But like it kind of said in the beginning there, it's never really clear if these pursuits of the nymphs really happened or if, if it's something that he just imagined. It references kind of the myth of Pan and Syrinx where Pan chases the nymph Syrinx and then she gets, she, she gets turned into a reed and escapes that way, but then he makes the reed into his pan pipes because there's a lot of references of reeds all throughout throughout the poem, and Mallory is definitely referencing that, but it's not that it's not directly about Pan, I wouldn't say. And and I have a quote from from Debussy about about the piece in relation to the poem. He says, "The music of this prelude is a very free illustration of Mallory's beautiful poem. By no means does it claim it to be a synthesis of it." Rather, there is a succession of scenes through which pass the desires and dreams of the fawn in the heat of the afternoon. Then, tired of pursuing the timorous flight of nymphs and naiads, he succumbs to intoxicating sleep in which he can finally realize the dreams of possession and universal nature. Uh, and it seems to me like Debussy was really trying to like directly translate this poem into music, like really communicate the scene. Um, yeah. It's super erotic, isn't it? It's like when you hear that music, you can like feel the sweat off the body yeah, and no, stuff. No, and it's like, such a great job doing yeah, it. so maybe we should read one of the parts that gives a little bit of the, of the dream of the fawn as well, which I think are some of the prettier parts as far as the imagery too. And in the poem, it's kind of specified between the memories and dreams and what is going on in current time because the, the dream parts are in italics. So we're going to start off with this part. It's going to have a little bit that's a dream part, and then it's going to switch back into the fawn, speaking directly to the audience again. My crime is happy at vanquishing these traitor fears to have parted the tussled tuft of kisses the gods kept so well matted, for barely had I gone to hide an ardent laugh where the happy folds of a single woman detaining with a simple finger that her feather-like candor he dipped in the emotion lighting up her sister, the little one, naive and unblushing. Then from my arms, undone by vague deaths, this prey, forever in great, frees itself without pity for the sobbing from which I was still drunk. No matter. Others will drag me to happiness by their tresses knotted in the horns on my brow. My passion, you know, that purple and already ripe, each pomegranate bursts and hums with bees and our blood in love with what will seize it, flows for all the eternal swarm of desire. At the hour when this wood is dipped in golden ashes, a feast takes fire in the extinct foliage. Etna, it is upon you, visited by Venus, planting her artless heels on your lava. When a sad sleep thunders or the flame gives out, I hold the queen, O oh, certain punishment. No, but the soul emptied of words and this body grown heavy succumb late to the proud silence of noon. Enough, let us sleep, forgetful of the blasphemy lying on the thirsty sand, and as I love, open my mouth to the effective star of wine. Okay, so that was Debussy. Uh, what are we going to talk about next? 
Foray, I believe. So we're going to talk about uh, Gabrielle Foray, Sync Melody, De Venice. It's pretty good. I don't know if that was you sound correct like the pronunciation. Kind of sound like the candle from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> but this is based on a poem by some poems by Verlaine. What can you tell us about this Foray piece here? It's it's nice, it's pleasant, but it's not one of my favorites of his music. He is an incredible composer. He basically, I I think he is the founding father of both minimalism and impressionism. Other people might not think, but I think it directly stems from him um, and Franz Liszt's late work. Mm-hmm. And he also taught all the impressionists, you know, in at the Paris Conservatory. Uh, and he was really incredible. This piece isn't something that I'm like blown over by. It's good. It's good. Uh it's just for piano and vocals. And it's it's a nice piece. It's not his things that are more, you know, I guess gripping on me is his cello sonata and then he his chamber work he did a requiem that's really famous it's amazing and then some of his other song cycles for yeah i guess we just only. really brought this one up because of the verlaine um yeah you could read verlaine the poem connection. i mean maybe the poem's amazing well this one i can't really read the poem because he, he didn't really base it on one specific poem um, he kind of made he pushed them all together yeah because it's from a collection uh and he kind of pulled, pulled some pieces together um, you know, I just thought it would be good to bring up Verlaine again, another French symbolist poet. Um, a poet modi, a, a cursed poet, right? Um, I think he came up with the term for that, really. <laughs> I like that. Um, but, yeah, and, and we're going to talk about some others kind of in that vein. I mean, we already talked about another symbolist, maybe we're going to talk about some others who are also poet modi. Yeah, and then we're, of course, going to talk about Rimbaud with the connection with Verlaine there. As well. And then we did, you know, we don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but we also had, there was also a Debussy piece um, based on Verlaine as well, Claire de Lune. Uh, so, another, not the Claire de Lune that you're not thinking Not the one that you're thinking of, a different Claire de Lune. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we'll put a link up for that one. I don't know that we really need to talk, but we've got two, two composers with uh, using Verlaine as inspiration there as well. Um, but maybe we'll move on here. All right, we're going to talk about a Ravel piece here, Gaspar Donnui. So this is again. All right, we'll start with the poetry this time. Okay. So this is based and on, yeah, yeah, give yeah. the background story of it. Yeah. So this is based on another. Again, we're with another symbolist poet, Aloysius Bertrand. Uh, he's kind of known as being the forefather of the prose poem this is he's considered to be one of the first people to write to write prose poems here and the idea the title of this piece is the title of his poem and this is is this kind of longer work and basically uh the speaker of the poem the author goes into this park and he sees an old man and he starts talking to him about about art and the old man tells him he's spent his whole life he's used his whole life finding out how to create art in the world and that he's written a book book about it and if he if he comes back the next day he'll give him the book 
and he comes back and he gives him the book and then he's supposed to go back and return it to the old man. When he goes to return it to the old man, he's not there. Um, and he asks where he is and someone tells him, well, he's probably in hell. Uh, and he's like, why is that? And, and he finds out that the old man was the devil. And that was the book that he had. And this, this group of poems is supposed to be the collection that the devil has made over all this time finding out how art works. And, this, and, and that's what this Gaspar de Louis is about. Is, is it, and it's a series of pieces based on a few of these different poems. Um, how, many, how many sections are there in this now? I'm trying to remember. I, I believe there's only three. There's three. And he wrote them for a, a competition that was like this... I believe it was like a one of those magazine competitions. I don't know. I can't remember exactly, but he wrote it for a composi- uh, competition, which he did not win. But it, it's gorgeous. Mu- it, the music, it's just for solo piano, and it's supposedly one of the hardest pieces of uh, solo piano music and that people play. What about Scrabble of Heart? It's crazy, really yeah, yeah, because it, it's hard in the sense that it's to play that fast and that soft. It's beautiful, and he lost the competition <laughs> based on it. But it, it's some of the most gorgeous piano music. I some of my favorite work of his, just in general as well. I love Ravel. He didn't write a lot of music compared to other people. Uh, but pretty much, I mean, he, he, his stuff's like spot on. It's like really, really looked at like perfectly. Mm-hmm. The, it's, it's just everything that you could think of. He, you kind of get this idea when, especially when you look at his scores too, that he's like super, super neurotic <laughs> and obsessive, compulsive, and just like has so many, meanings and forms and it's all like in this rigid way what a lot different than Debussy I would have to say which he really admired Debussy um but you definitely get the sense that Debussy goes into another world and it's like more based off intuition and he doesn't know what he's doing Mm -hmm. Ravel you never see that it's like always like this rigid precision of (laughs) like perfection of where the human brain has possibly to go with something logically and rationally, even though it's using the medium of art, which is abstract, which is super fascinating in itself. Yeah. And, and it makes yeah. for beautiful, gorgeous art, but it's, it's just this completely different thing. And like, I, but I love both of them, you know, for different reasons and they're amazing. And this but. I mean it's really interesting to me that this that he picked this piece of poetry as something to base a piece on. Um I mean I think Aloysius Bertrand he was definitely is kind of like a hero to to Surrealists later on, but I don't think it's like you know, it was not the most popular poet of the time. And in fact it's still pretty hard to find a, a there's a couple English translations of Gaspard de Lenouis, but it's kind of hard to find translations of it. Um, but I thought maybe we'll just read one of the pieces is based on Undine. Well, maybe we'll just read that to give some taste of what the poem is like. Uh, this is Undine, and this is one of the three parts that 
I believe there's only three. There might be four. I might be wrong. This is my favorite, though. This is the one that is the one I could just listen to over and over, and I have listened to it over and over and over, and never like I. I could just repeat it over and forever. It's it's one of musically. It's one of those things, and the poem I think also has uh, a quality of that too. Yeah. That it's just like so lovely and magical or something that it just, yeah. Yeah, well, let's hear the poem. I mean, but I guess we do need to give a little kind of setup. So, an Undine, if you don't know, is it's kind of the same as like a naiad. It's kind of a water spirit. Um, I think it kind of comes out of alchemy originally. This idea of there being these water elementals, right? So in this this song, we we have the Undine the water elemental talking in the beginning and she's trying to uh convince the speaker to come away with her and then the speaker the speaker will talk and then it's got this really nice little inscription at the beginning from charles Brunio's the two genies we'll start with i thought i heard a distant melody enchanting my sleep and someone whispering to me like singing mixed with sad and tender speech Listen, listen, it's me. It is Undine who flicks drops of water at your ringing window panes, lit by the colorless rays of the moon. And here, in a dress of watered silk, the lady of the house looks out from her balcony on the beautiful starry night and on the sleeping lake. Every wave is a naiad who swims in the current. Every current is a path winding to my palace. My castle made of water at the bottom of the lake, in a triangle of fire and earth and air. Listen, listen, my father whips the gurgling water with the branch of a green elder tree, and my sisters caress cool islands of grass, water lilies and gladiolas with their arms of foam, or laugh at the bearded old willow tree who casts out its fishing line. Since she'd whispered her song, she asked me to take her ring on my finger, to be the husband of an Undine, and to live with her in her palace and be king of the lakes. And as I replied that I loved a human woman who was cold and cruel, Undine wept a few tears, then burst out laughing and vanished in a downpour that streamed white down my blue glass window panes. It's so beautiful. It's a nice one. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And the music is too, and I, music is abstract. It's 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 really abstract form of of language. But I do, you can definitely hear the dream part, like that. He he's you're in a dream. Yeah. yeah. It just starts like that. This, you know, repeating, very much repeating part that makes you feel like you're in this dream world. And I I can see the other things too, like definitely her bursting into flames on the window pane at the end. I can see some of the imagery. It's really hard to like say any of this stuff, you know, because I I feel like I I don't know. I hope you know. I hope anyone listening to this goes and listens to these pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they and, and it's up for your interpretation, you know. He did a good job, I mean, though. He did a yeah. really good and job. I think of... it, it's interesting, and I think the degrees that different composers were were concerned with that or not. But I mean, I think some of them it definitely feels like they were very much trying to be like, listen to this and get the image. 
Yeah. That I, it's that, more yeah. it's it's more based off of feeling or imagery. Like how uh I think definitely you have to go to it in that way. Like where you either have already read the poem or you're gonna read it after or you're reading it like in your head as you're listening. Because it's definitely like all the things that aren't in the poem. Which is it's like a it's film. It's kind of like an act of translation. In some yeah. Way of like, okay, I'm going to translate this poem into music. Well, it's like a film. It's like yeah. it's more like what this poem can't say. I'm going to say. I'm going to like. I think that that's more. That's the way that I kind of come at. I've done tone poems for your work, and then I've worked on stuff for Sylvia Plath's aerial poems and I've worked on quite a few of this and my idea is more like how films are like you put the things that can't can't be shot or can't be said yeah you kind of if you if you stick to being like that's what I was saying like to me it seems like an act of translation right because you're trying to give the same feeling but you can't do it in the same way, right? Because you're using different tools. Um, you are, but if you try right. to be too literal, also you could miss the point. Because well, poetry has its own just like music I, in it. I think that's the same with translation, normally. Anyway, is it? I mean, yeah. yeah, because you're using different tools, right? You have to, to to give that to evoke the same thing or a similar thing. You need you you have to do it in a different way to to do it effectively, right? Um, yeah, you're using different tools and you're you're with those tools you're touching different bases you know like you're making more of a world the world that the story lives in i think is okay yeah is more where you're trying yeah yeah, and and instead of like telling the story directly because because the the poem the poem already has music to it yeah and it already has uh, a, a structure to it that and and you're you go into it thinking like that you're just gonna ruin it you're gonna <laughs> fuck it up you know you're it being too yeah. literal literal <laughs> on those those points of view you know it it's like more of a place where the the poem could dwell or live in yeah I, that's what I think and personally and that's the only time you feel safe you know I don't know if that's what Ravel thought or. WC. I I mean, you can clearly, if you read what they said about it, they're like, in no way, this is like completely direct, you know? Like, this is not, this is like, what what did WC, I thought that was the best thing, where he says, like, this is like a dream that they're, he's having, things like that. It's like, so it's like this other thing that's surrounding the poem, you know? In a way, and then like in a marriage, or like in a weird way of like a, I don't know. It's it's really hard because this and, is and all. The, and we're in a podcast, so people can't see the hand motions you're making. Yeah, 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 but... <laughs> yeah. I know, and it's uh, all so abstracted. I feel like an idiot talking about it because it doesn't. It's not. It's word. You can't use words to express these kind of things or to say them. But this is at least the the feeling that I gather yeah and I'm not well, yeah and I don't I mean, for sure I, I don't know and I mean I'm not but I do feel like when I listen to these things I can feel a similar kind of things as reading a lot of the pieces right um, yeah 
But it's the same way, like, I don't know, I mean, it's, part of that is, I think, maybe sometimes people try to overly literalize reading a poem or literalize listening to music. Yeah. But either thing, it's, it's if you're open to it and if you're letting it just kind of be a cloud of something around you, yeah. they kind of do similar things. Um, yeah, if it, if it, it should... You're just kind of floating in it. Well, you know? yeah, 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 and it make you put you into a dream or like into imagination or things like yeah. when you played with toys as a child or things like that. That's that my take on art. That's why I love it so much. Is like it's this continuation of that that part of that most adults lose, and they're always thinking like rationally and logically about bills and all this stuff that's in its own right just if just <laughs> absurd and completely abstract yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and meaningless and you know to find that place when like where music and poetry and art can make you like see again the world at, like for the first time you saw it in, as a child or things like that and like when things were magical it's like it's like the traces of it still being there and it can like bring you back to that state and i know people purposely have done it wonderful thing that it can kind of automatically bring you i mean once you've opened yourself up to it yeah the appearance of it can just bring you back into it yeah and that's like the ultimate Yeah. yeah like thing right i mean that to me that's like even doing it or creating it, that's like where I'm trying to get to. Okay, uh, well, Jeff, uh, thank you. Uh, and you're going to stay and continue recording with me here. But I think we're going to, this is going to be the end of the first episode. And we're going to split this into two parts. Um, so what we're going to do, listeners, is we're going to take you out with a recording of the second piece that we talked about, the Debussy uh, Prelude of the Afternoon of a Fawn. Um, real quick before we do that, uh, if you've enjoyed listening to this episode today, again, please give us a review on iTunes. I know it's annoying for me to ask you this every week, but it really helps us find new listeners. So if you enjoyed this episode today, please go ahead and do that. All right, here's your Debussy. <laughs>